0: Now, I want to take as our text tonight a passage in the 12th chapter of Hebrews. These words, and this word, yet once more signify the removing of all those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, but those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire." Since we were here in the 50s and then in the 60s, things have changed. I was asking Joe Ulrich a moment ago, I said, don't you all still have streetcars? It seems to me I've seen one since I've been here. And he said, yes, they've just put them in. And uh, I thought, well, that's the first city I've been to in a long time where they had streetcars. The last I can remember was in Bucharest. They had streetcars. And it took me back to my boyhood and childhood when we had streetcars in Our Town of Charlotte, North Carolina. But many things have changed since we were here. Uh, I, I could not remember that you had such tall buildings in the city center in 1950 and today there are so many beautiful high-rises on both sides of the Willamette River that uh, I hardly know how to get around. In 1950, the freeway system hadn't been built, and the streetcars were moving slowly. Most of you got here on one of the interstates of freeway system or on the max rail system tonight. And when we were here in 1950, television was a new phenomenon. It had just started. I remember one of the first that I saw was in 1939 at the New York World's Fair, and uh, they had a camera up there, and you could walk in front, and you could see a little fuzzy picture. And I remember when television first came out, and we got a television set, and we, we enjoyed seeing that snow. And. Uh, Some shadows moving, and guess what it was? In fact, it was here in Portland that our radio program, the Hour of Decision, got started. And today, through modern technology, these meetings will be seen by television by many, perhaps many hundreds of thousands or even millions uh, toward the end of this year. In 1950, the Portland Beavers baseball team played here in this stadium. I remember that. Today, the NBA Portland Trailblazers have created what we talked about a moment ago, blazomania. Tonight, I wanna to find out tonight how many people are here and you're under 30 years of age. I want you to stand up. now, I'm in the senior citizen class, so you'll soon be supporting us. (laughs) And so, we give a lot of attention to you. But I also see a lot of gray heads here. And those of us that are senior citizens can really see a change in Portland. Things that you younger people take for granted. We were born before television, before frozen foods. Before antibiotics, before nylons, before Xerox, before credit cards, for us, time sharing meant togetherness, not computers. <laughs> and software wasn't even a word. We were before pantyhose and drip dry clothes, before ice makers and dishwashers, CHERIOS, instant coffee, decaffeinated anything, and. Make- and McDonald's had never been heard of. And I don't know how we lived. (laughs) If we'd been asked to explain CIA, VCR, UFO, ERA, NFL, or JFK, we we would have said, well, that's alphabet soup. (laughs) When you think of how our world has changed and the adjustments we've had to make, Today's senior citizens are a pretty hearty bunch because we came along through all of that. There have been great political changes. Hungary. We were in the People's Stadium in Hungary about three or four years ago, and it had the largest crowd in its history to hear the gospel. 115,000 people in one service. South Africa would have never thought of having an integrated service in those days. We went to South Africa. We did not go until they guaranteed we could have integration, and we went there. And we can show you on Film where the newspapers had headlines saying, Billy Graham says apartheid is sin. And uh, then there have been gigantic geophysical and ecological calamities across the world. I read last Sunday's Earth Week column in The Argonian, a diary of some of the things that happened on the planet last week. It talked of tropical storms last week, like the worst hurricane to slam into Hawaii in this century. It continued to report on the damage from Hurricane Andrew in Florida. Norman Mitsky's house, who is on our team, uh, looked like some giant hand had come down and just lifted the whole thing up and lifted everything out. We went to Homestead in southern Florida, and my son, who's here tonight, Franklin Graham, has an organization called Samaritan's Purse, and they had already gotten 10 trailers in place down there by the time We got there to see it. And what a devastation that was. You cannot imagine what happened in southern Florida. You can't see it on television. Stefan Nelson, my grandson, spent his full time down there working, handing out water and bread and uh, things, and he saw on top of one roof this sentence that somebody had written. Okay, God, you got our attention. Now what? And the newspaper went on to mention Typhoon Sybil, the tropical storms, Payne and Roseland. Monsoon floods washed away entire villages in North India and Pakistan, killing thousands of people. There were earthquakes in Zaire and Nicaragua and minor shakes in many other parts of the world. These are just the things that came out of one newspaper. This is all in addition to environmental changes such as the sudden drop in levels of protective ozone over the Antarctic, MENTIONED IN THE COLUMN THAT MIGHT SIGNAL MAJOR DAMAGE. I COULD GO ON AND ON, AND THAT WAS JUST IN YOUR NEWSPAPER LAST WEEK. WE'RE LIVING IN A CHANGING AND INCREASINGLY DANGEROUS WORLD. THAT'S THE POINT I'M TRYING TO MAKE. IT'S NOT GETTING BETTER. Today's USA Today carried a look at statistics that shape our lives. It said that in the 12 and 17-year-old teen bracket, 46% have tried alcohol for the first time. 38% have started smoking. We thought they were not smoking anymore. According to a recent study done by Harvard University, researchers drinking on campus is at an all-time high. You probably saw all the reports last Sunday in your newspaper of the FBI statistics. Oregonians reported more serious crimes in 91 than 90, 90, with a sizable increase in killings and rapes. Juvenile crime is soaring. Oregon's teen pregnancy rate increased for the fourth consecutive year, according to a State Health Division report that I saw this week. Nationwide, the number of teens with HIV have more than doubled since 1989, and AIDS is the sixth leading cause of death for people in the ages between 15 and 24. Can you imagine that? One-fifth of all the people with AIDS are in their 20s, with the disease probably contacted, contracted while they were teen, teenagers. The incidence of AIDS is three times higher among teenage girls than among adult women. Thousands of women, of people, especially young people, are trying to find a purpose and a meaning in their lives. Have you found it? Do you have a purpose in your life, and does life have meaning to you? Or is your life cracking up and going all to pieces? The big question today is, what is meaning? Fifty years ago, when I started preaching, the philosophical question was, what is truth? Today's question is, what is the point? The Bible says, the heart is deceitful, above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your heart, my heart, is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who would believe that after a storm hit Miami, and southern Florida, like Andrew, that there'd be looters taking advantage of it. I read an article in the Charlotte Observer last week that domestic violence cases are soaring after the hurricane in southern Florida. We don't know our hearts. We don't know what would happen until it actually happens. Andrew Morris, the great philosopher in France, wrote, the universe is indifferent. Who created it? Why are we here on this puny mud heap spinning in infinite space? He said, I have not the slightest idea. And there are many people that take that attitude. Albert Camus, who was the great philosopher that everybody quoted a few years ago, said, man cannot live without meaning. Are you trying to live without meaning in your life? Now, here are some of the things that the philosophers were saying that people think about when they're alone. When you're alone, here's what many people that are here tonight think about. First, you think about, well, I have to suffer, maybe now or soon. I must struggle to make ends meet. I must struggle in my marriage. I must struggle with my girlfriend, my boyfriend, because it seems that things are going wrong. I must struggle to make grades in school. I'm at the mercy of chance. I feel guilty all the time and I don't know what I'm guilty of. I ask the question when I'm alone, who am I? I know that I must die and I'm afraid to die. I don't want to die but I know I'm going to have to die. Every person in this audience 75 years from now will be dead. A scientist recently asked the question on television, who made the earth? Why is it here? What is its future? We have the answer. We just don't know. Then he said an interesting thing. Perhaps we're all going to have to restudy the biblical accounts. And that's exactly what many atheists are doing today. They're restudying the biblical accounts. The first time I met Mr. Yeltsin in the Kremlin, I talked with him, and he told me that he'd been an atheist. But he said, I'm no longer an atheist. He said, I've come to believe that there's something beyond this life and something bigger than we are. And he said, I've started going back to church. And he said, my grandchildren are wearing crosses around their necks and I'm glad. Now that was a couple years ago, before the coup. T.S. Eliot once wrote, where is the wisdom, think of it now, where is the wisdom that we've lost in knowledge? We have a tremendous amount of knowledge. We have universities by the scores and hundreds and thousands throughout the world. But we've lost wisdom in the midst of all of our knowledge. Jesus said, and there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity. In Luke 21, 25, distress. That word means that we're pressed from all sides. And perplexity means no way out. If you'd gone to Rio to that conference on ecology, and how can we save this planet, you would have come away like many of them came away, confused and mixed up, discouraged and hopeless. President Kennedy said a quarter of a century ago, no man entering upon this office could fail to be staggered upon learning the harsh enormities of the trials through which he must pass in the next few years. How right President Kennedy was. He went on to say, each day the crisis multiplies, each day their solution grows more difficult, each day we draw nearer the hour of maximum danger, and time is not our friend. In the midst of all these changes, there are certain things that have not changed and will never change. The first thing that has never changed in all these centuries, the nature of God has not changed. He said, I am the Lord, I change not, Malachi 3.6. The Scripture says there is no bearableness, neither shadow of turning with God. That means the batting of an eyelash. Not even that much change in God in all these centuries. He's from everlasting to everlasting. He had no beginning. He has no end. I don't understand that, but I accept it. He's the one thing that we can count on is God. He's unchanging in His holiness. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Revelation 4, 8. God is unchanging in judgment. It says the Lord shall judge the ends of the earth. God is unchanging in love. For God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you. That's hard to believe, that's hard to take in, but God loves you. And if you were the only person in the whole world, God would love you and He would have sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. God is love. That's one thing I want you to remember when we leave, that we've said. And then the second thing, the Word of God has not changed. Not only the nature of God has not changed, but the Word of God has not changed. This Bible, is the Word of God. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the Word of our God shall stand forever. And what you read in this book stands forever. It's a thrilling thing to take up this book and know that you are reading something inspired by God and it's His message to the human race. He tells us where we came from. He tells us where we're going. He tells us how to live every day. The third thing that hasn't changed, human nature has not changed. Jeremiah the prophet said, as I said a moment ago, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. Sin means that I've broken God's laws. I've broken the Ten Commandments. If you have broken one commandment one time, you're guilty of all. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever had lust in your heart? Then you're guilty. We're guilty before God. And because we're guilty, we're under sentence of death. Death in this life and death in the life to come. And then, fourthly, the way of salvation has not changed. In all these centuries, the way of salvation is still the same. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved, in Acts 4:12, John 14:6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. In the last generation, the only way to God was through Christ. In this generation, the only way to God will be through Christ. The only one in history, of whom it is written, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him." Think of it. The wrath of God abides on you now. And the only way that wrath can be turned away is by the cross. When Jesus Christ took your sins on the cross, God could no longer see your sins because your sins were buried in the depths of the sea. And God cannot even remember your sins. Think of it. God cannot even remember. He has the ability to turn the tape recorder off and erase it. And God cannot remember your sins when you come to Christ at the cross by faith and repentance. Yes, God will never change. The Word of God will never change. But you have to change if you were to go to heaven. If you were to have a a new life here and have purpose and meaning in your life, you have to change. The first thing you have to do is repent. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out, the scripture says. The second thing is to believe and that word believe means to commit. That's the marriage vow that we take. It's not just getting married, it's a lifetime commitment. My wife is here tonight, and she... uh, And uh, we've had differences, like every normal couple. And someone asked her, had she ever thought of divorce? She said, no, but I have thought of murder. I don't know where she's sitting, but sometime I'm going to ask her to explain that. But we have a wonderful marriage and we have a wonderful family, and all of them know the Lord, for which we give thanks to God. Now I want to ask you, do you know Christ? You see, Christ died for you. And on that cross, God laid on Him the sins of us all. We deserved hell. We deserved judgment. We deserved to pay the price for our sins. But Jesus took them voluntarily on the cross. And on that cross, He had the capacity, because He was the God-man, to see you sitting here tonight. He looked ahead these thousands of years, and. He could see you and He knew you and He knew all about you and He loved you and He's willing to forgive you and give you purpose and meaning in your life and change your life. Your life has to change. But as many as received Him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. Have you come to Christ? Has there been a time when you received Him as your Lord and your Savior? and said, Lord, with your help I want to follow you. I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to be as faithful to you as I can. I can't live the Christian life alone. I'm a failure. Billy Graham cannot live the Christian life. I've tried. I can't do it. But with the help of the Word of God and the help of the Holy Spirit, I can live the Christian life, but He lives it through me. He produces the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace. All of these things are supernaturally produced in you by the Holy Spirit when you receive Christ. Some people say, I'm trying to hold on. You don't need to hold on. He holds you. Just turn loose and let Him come into your heart. How many of us, we've been baptized? We go to church once in a while, maybe every Sunday. But deep in your heart, there's a doubt that you know Christ. You're not sure that if you died at this moment, you'd go to heaven. You want to be sure, you want to be certain. You want to know that your sins are forgiven, and you want to know that purpose and meaning that God can give to you. Are you willing to change your way of living? That's repentance, to change your mind, to change the direction of your life. And you can't repent by yourself. The Holy Spirit has to help you do that. And then you come by faith, and faith means commitment. When I stepped on this platform, Last night, I'd never been on this platform before. I didn't get down and examine it to see if it would hold me up. I accepted by faith that the carpenters that built it, built it to hold a man. And by faith, you receive Christ in the same way. You totally commit yourself. You say, Lord, I'm not trusting anything else to save my soul except Jesus. I commit myself to Him. Young people today are looking for a cause They're looking for a flag to follow. They're looking for something to really believe in. People are mixed up. They're confused. They don't know what to think. They're just angry. And many people think, can we hold together as a society? Come to Christ. He will meet all those longings and all those needs and give you a new life He can come into your family. He can come into that office where you've been having trouble. He can come into your schoolroom. He can come into every phase of your life and make you a new person. He can make those ends meet. He can help you meet those payments. He can help you in looking for a job. He can give you total assurance that your sins are gone, and that God will never hold you accountable for them again. They're forgiven. And He receives you with open arms, and He'll do it tonight if you let Him.